Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is J.D. Koch. He's the Associate Rector at Christ Church in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. He's also a theologian. He did his doctorate in systematic theology at the University of Humboldt, dealing with issues of law and gospel as the boundary of theological reflection. I give you J.D. Koch. J.D., welcome back to the podcast, my friend. Thanks, Scott. It's great to be here with you. It's exciting. Uh, Palm Sunday coming up. This is an exciting time for the church. Yeah, man. It's good to be here. Do you guys do like a lot of, you know, liturgical regalia and palms and all the... All we the... do. Uh, we do the whole, um, you know, we, we sort of, we, we rest in the, um, in the tradition during this week. You know, we begin with the procession outside and we wave the palms and we have the the dramatic reading of the gospel, and then we'll have the full Monday Thursday, you know, uh, foot washing, stripping of the altars, Friday, Good Friday, um, all the way to Easter. And so, yeah, I think um, there's a there's there's times when I think the the liturgy uh, gets in the way of of sometimes the proclamation of the gospel, but I do think that during this season uh, we should. Or at least we have decided to avail ourselves of of the richness of it. We should say, yeah, I agree. Sometimes you tell this; it tells the story in a way that's uh, you know kind of elegant and simplistic. Exactly, exactly. Or simple, not simplistic. Simply, right? Not simply. Well, and it hits all the different the the different um, senses. You know, Martin Luther was was you know in my mind famous for for talking about the, the various ways that we that we that the gospel is preached. You know, not the least of which it's preached um, to your to your mouth. You know, through the, through communion, but you know, it's heard, it's smelled, it's felt, it's 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 this sort of holistic, um, you know, sort of full body immersion. And I think that um, that there's something something to that. I mean, I wouldn't want to run too far afield with it, but I'm I'm not entirely dissuaded by the argument, and therefore I find myself less suspicious of um, of some of these uh, you know aspects of the tradition. So yeah, we're looking forward to it. Man. You're a good 39 articles kind of. <laughs> That's right. That's, you know. That's right. As long as what is it? Article six says I can't tell you it'll. You have to do it if it's not in the Bible. Um, and Article Twenty says, if if the Bible hadn't specifically said it, then it, I can I can let you do it. Yeah, and don't so. give us a hard time if the tradition's not <laughs> anti biblical. Right. I like that's that though. Right. That's something. That's a sort. I do too. What celebrates? Do what distinguishes? I think kind of Luther from Calvin, right? Luther's a little more. If it's not in the Bible, we can do it. Whereas you know you have that. Well, and that Protestant, was the Puritans yeah. and the conformists at the time. You know, they had the normative and the regulative principles. You know, and if it was, um, if it was, oh, now I'm now I'm getting my words confused. But basically, one of them said, you know, unless it's expressly stated in the Bible, you can't do it. And the other one says, unless it's expressly prohibited, you. you That's a regular principle. You're up. You you're Thank uptight you. Presbyterians so, love. There we go. <laughs> That's uh, uptight right. Presbyterian. But I repeat myself. Uh, but a boom. <laughs> But a boo. All right, so here we go. We got Isaiah. We got our first reading in the lections is Isaiah 50. We have this text where, uh, you know, we have the the prophet saying, The Lord has given me the tongue of a teacher that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. And he, he talks about the dependence of, 
you know, him on the Lord. And then you have this, he begins to, you know, get to the, the place where, you know, I gave my back to those who struck me, yes. my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. And, and, and you, you, you know, he concludes with this, who are my adversaries? Yes. Let, let them confront me. It is the Lord who helps me, who, who will declare me guilty. So you have this, the prophet sort of, as the teacher and one who's teaching brings up contention. Yes, exactly. And I think, you know, not to, to get too quickly into the um, uh, Palm Sunday reading, but I think that the, 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 the sort of the posture of the prophet here in light of his, uh, the scorn and contempt being heaped on him with respect to his relationship to God is, is instructive here, because one imagines that um, at some point with these, um, uh, this abuse that he's undergoing, that he would begin to question whether or not uh, it is in fact the Lord God who has helped me, you know, that, that, um, that there, is, there is sort of a goodness to this God who is allowing this to take place. And I think this is, um, this is one of the um, sort of the, the rightly understood, you know, passages used uh, with respect to to the suffering and the uh, scourging that Jesus underwent because in the in the relationship uh, to the people who were doing this he never once um, you know faltered in his um, in his understanding that the Lord in fact you know his father in fact was with him and I think that that it's um, it's remarkable uh, to human experience, at least as far as I can tell, that in the midst of suffering, death, and um, contempt and scorn, that you would have an unwavering sense of God's um, presence with you. I mean, I think that's almost almost you could argue is conversion. You know, in a sense that that would be the the um, the, the the place where you you actually uh, realize that despite the, the wind and waves of life, um, that this God who has uh, called you out of darkness is one who, who is the one before whom you ultimately will stand. And as you can preach, um, who are my adversaries? Let them confront me. It's the Lord God who helps me. Who will declare me guilty? And I think that that's um, – it's an interesting juxtaposition in light of what we'll see uh, – at the end of the program um, with the people who welcome Jesus and then so quickly um, reject him, I think. Yeah, it's interesting, too, this this sense uh, that in his conflict, the the prophet is not—I mean, it, the Lord here helps him, therefore he's not been disgraced. There's this—some contemporary psychologist writes about shame and imagining how we deal with it. It's like hmm. the picture is a compass, right? And they say, like, on the north end— uh, sometimes our reaction to shame is we, in anger, strike out against other people. And on the South End, sometimes we strike out in anger at ourselves, right? It's self, huh, self. Yeah. And then on the West End, sometimes we throw ourselves into community and inflate our ego, right? And try to sort of cover it. And on the East End is sometimes we just wither in community, you know, wither away from community and become isolated. But it seems like the prophet here looking like Jesus it does none of those. That in yes. That God is... The center and neither is taken neither into the north, the south, east, or west yes, poles. That's that, good. That that, that 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 that's what the righteousness of Christ allows, right? I mean, that's right. And I think that's the power. You know, that's you know, particularly in the context Isaiah was writing. You know, the question of the um, 
the uh, sort of the efficacy of the covenant and the promises of God and the, you know, the sort of uh, the relative obligations of Israel and, and, you know, those are all in question all the time because the very fact of the matter is that, you know, there was, they were being broken, um, you know, Israelites, uh, the Israel was, was being, you know, times divided, even amongst itself, it was being overrun, it was being enslaved. I mean, all of these realities of a broken world were, were part of the discussion about the relationship between um, Israel and God. And yet the promise, when reiterated throughout, you know, the Old Testament and then obviously established for the sake of the world in Christ, uh, became just that sort of lodestone, as you were mentioning. It's where the compass, you know, the, the compass has been, has been reset now. And so come what may, you know, come the cross, come, come um, uh, trials and tribulations, come the, you know, as Paul says in Romans 8, you know, nakedness, shipwreck, the sword, come what may, the love of God in Christ is unseverable now. And that is a, that is a divine work, obviously, of the gospel that then produces people like this prophet who are able to say, um, you know, therefore I've set my face like flint, and I know, I know that I shall not be put to shame. Is it he who vindicates me is near? I mean, that's a, you know, that'll preach. And unfortunately, it's not something you can teach someone, but it has to be sort of, as it were, elicited out of the realities of life by the, I think, by the, the gospel to become, you know, to, to, for me to tell you to believe that is one thing, but for you to confess that to me, that it is something that you actually have come to realize about your relationship to the Lord, um, is something altogether different, you know, and I think it's a beautiful, um, it's a beautiful thing. I heard a pastor once say that sort of, you know, there's issues of being a baby Christian, you're kind of, you know, like you're milk and you're just getting the word and what to trust. And he said, and spiritual adolescence, which most of us is last well into adulthood, adulthood yeah. is, is law and grace. It's, it's, it's kind of the, it's the, it's the, you know, shall go on and sin that grace may abound. And he yes, said, yes. then that later adulthood, when you get out of adulthood, it's the problem of suffering. It's, it's Deuteronomy 29, 29, yep. you know, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the promise yes. is revealed. And yeah, I think you're right. It's only people that have lived at the other end of that that can tell you that story. You can't. There's no curriculum for it. Uh, yeah. Well, I yeah. used to. I wrote a. Yeah, I wrote a um, class once that I gave called "Becoming a Psalmist," and it was had part and parcel to do with some of my own particular sufferings that that um, that that I had undergone, and in the midst of that, being sort of um, fed, you know, innumerable platitudes about how, you know, God doesn't give you more than you can handle, or when he shuts a door, he opens a window, and all of these things that that actually are sort of thinly veiled um, cries for uh, for help for the for increasingly cynical people. I mean, that's what they are. And I and I was at the same time confronted by uh, the writings of uh, Oswald Bayer, who who just sort of in the very beginning of his book on Luther writes that the the gospel is only fully appreciated out of the confession in the midst of of suffering and infectung is this word in German, you know. And it was like a light bulb went off in my head and I realized that that I can actually now, having gone through, you know, I mean the everyone has their own unique realities of suffering, but to each individual person it's it feels just as bad you know i mean like the 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 i you know you can it, the the relativization of suffering is also a, a mistake people make you know as if um as if you know when someone's like for instance a child tragically dies or like and someone says well at least you have three others like as if you know or as if or or you know or or just think about all the time you may or may not have had had that not been the case i mean these ridiculous things they don't appreciate the fact that for you you're you're going to be met with a particular unique and altogether overwhelming 
experience of suffering, even if in relation to my life, it seems somewhat trivial. And that is where you're going to find out by the power of the Spirit, hopefully, that you're, that the foundation, when swept away, the upon which you are standing actually is, in fact, Christ and His promise. And I think that's that's how I've reread all of these, um, the Psalms, the prophets, the the these these sort of um, these long suffering. You know, Jeremiah has become a great comfort to me. You know, he used to be sort of um, uh, sort of obtuse and very dense, and it certainly still is in many ways. But but this sort of contending with the Lord in the light of His promise is something that is 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 a beautiful thing, and I think that's what the. Um, that's what Jude meant, I think, when he says, contend for once for all, for the faith once delivered, you know, contend for this faith. And I think that contention is precisely in the face of of um, of suffering. And um, thankfully, we're standing here as, as part of a long and never-ending until the Lord comes back line of people who have been met in the very place of that suffering and um, live to, to become prophets and, and psalmists. On to Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. He empties himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. So here we have this, you know, great picture of uh, of the, you know, it's interesting, Karl Barth says there are two storylines in the gospel, or in the, in the New Testament. One is, you find in the synoptics and other parts of Paul that it's Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. And others you find in John and other parts of Paul, which is more like the Son of God is Jesus Christ. And one's an ascent and one's a descent. Yes, And, yes. and they're both, it's like fully human, fully divine. There are two stories going on in the one person. And here's one of the descent passages, right? It's not set yes. starting in Nazareth and, and going to the resurrection, exalted one. Here it's starting with the exaltation and, and showing how the incarnation is humiliation. Yes, and I think, I mean, this is the famous, you know, the, the doctrine of kenosis comes from this, you know, the, the emptying of himself, you know, and I think that, you know, not just the the humility that he shows, but, you know, the, the I, yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the, the importance of this passage for Christology, you know, is, is probably, I mean, it's been rightly understood. I mean, it's, it's one of the, the most, um, you know, thought about and, and sort of unpacked with respect to the two natures and God's, you know, the inner workings of the Trinity. But I think that the, the most beautiful thing for me when I read this is that the emptiness of himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, is that it puts our Christology in a decidedly non-sort of docetic, meaning, like, we actually believe Jesus was a human being. Like, you know, the two natures in the, the, is, is a difficult concept and obviously took many centuries to hammer out. And even then, it's something we hold with great reverence and awe. But that he was tempted as we are and yet did not fall, that he, you know, suffered and died and was crucified and that he, he, he was a, a human is, is, I mean, it's, it's, again, it's one of these, these doctrines where the, the Orthodox, you know, theologians would say you just begin to, that's why we start singing at this point, you know, because it's so, it's so sort of majestic. But I think it has a lot of ramifications, obviously, for our appreciation of, of, of what the, 
new life in Christ or the, the first fruit of the new creation would look like, because it would not be an escape from our humanity, but it would in fact be a redemption of our humanity, the one that he himself took on. And I think for me, that has been a um, sort of an aspect of, of intellect, uh, grist for the intellectual mill in my life that has hasn't yet to be removed, because the, the interplay of this sort of the the redemption of our humanity, not the escape from from this world, but the the recreation of it, beginning with Christ as the first fruit. Um, it's an it's an it's an un it's an limitless is limitless sort of food for thought right there um, about the about the the profundity of the gospel and that um, yeah yeah and I think it, it's interesting because on one level right you have these kind of it, Christologies that say Jesus isn't really divine, right? And th- and then th- and those sort of Christologies, he won't save us, right? Because That's right. he just gives us the example, and then we are put on ourselves. And the docetic, the kind of really, he's just it, his humanity's illusion. That's sort of like he he can't save us because he can't yeah. really get into the the nitty gritty of the human condition. But this is the That's mystery right. that says he both can save us and wills to do it. You know, and, yeah. and is is the real redeemer. And he, yeah, I mean, I think it's funny. I always have a picture when I think of the Descetic Christ. Um, uh, I always think of the, the, I forget which Superman iteration it was where they finally did the scene that everyone really wonders about where Superman gets shot directly in the eyeball. Which one was that? Remember that? Um, and the, the bullet, cause every, every time you wonder about Superman getting shot, the real question, at least for me as a child, which apparently was, was, shared by others was what if it hit him directly in the eye right 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 you know and it has the bullet flatten up against his eye and you realize that okay he literally can't be hurt by bullets yeah. which is something that's unfathomable to us and i think that's what you know that's what a lot of people think you know instinctually when they're like jesus was sort of winking you know on the cross or that he was or that his life leading up to that had been sort of a uh, you know, a, a, a divine cakewalk in a way that ours isn't. Like he really, and I think in part, not to get too far afield, I think that's why the the sort of um, ease that some religious traditions have to sort of put the the actual humanity onto other people, like say the you know Mary or the saints or some other people that because it seems to make more sense other than this divine figure. And I think that Paul, in particular, right here. Um, and also in Second Corinthians five, you know, talking about him who knew no sin became sin, so that in him we would become the righteousness. We talked about um, or it was last week's reading, I think, that Paul is is trying to put words to you know this hymn, or he's he's reiterating this this hymn that is actually encapsulating this this wonder of wonders, you know, that God Himself that was who had equality with Him came and became one of us, so that we could be redeemed in our entirety. And I think that's the point. It's like, we're not going to be, you know, we're not floating up, our souls aren't cracked up out of our bodies and we float to heaven and that our world as it is here is not going to be destroyed, um, you know, irrevocably because we, because it's not worthy of redemption, but that the new heavens and the new earth will be seen just as he was the first fruit as this redemption of the created order in a way that's it's it's hard to fathom, really. Yeah, this I is mean, that great line at the, I mean, end, rightly at, so. at the end of First Corinthians 15, where Paul says, you know, it's the opposite of the opiate of the people kind of thing. He says, you know, therefore, because the resurrection is true, you labor not in vain. That that right. that that the, the stuff of the next world, it, it, you know, the, is the this raw material is is the stuff of the next world because of the resurrection yeah. of Christ. I love that actually, and it was a I, I've used this analogy, I've used this story before, and 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 I don't really. 
Well, I'll just tell you, it was, it was powered for me 20 years ago. So it's like the first time I stepped foot in a actual sort of academic seminary situation was taking um, extended continuing credit for a ministry that I was working for. Anyway, long story short, I'll never forget um, the New Testament professor was talking about eschatology, and he was saying, well, you know, when the new heaven and the new earth comes, I would like to be a lobster boat captain. And for me, as a 21-year-old, sort of, you know, brand new to any sort of thoughtful um, Christian theology, I, I was like, I was basically saying, well, that's not because <laughs> we're on clouds with 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 harps and whatever it's going to be. It's not that. And I remember just that seed, you know, which of course has has grown and, and been pruned, and it's you know, there, there's more to say about that. But nevertheless, the idea that what Christ was accomplishing on the cross was the redemption of our of our bodies, that the resurrection of the body became something, you know, not ancillary to our profession of faith, that the that his actual humanity was, he was giving us a picture not of what it meant to be a divine human, but it actually what it meant to be a human that doesn't have pretensions to be divine. Yeah. I mean, that's what he was doing. Yeah. And I think it's, again, I mean, I could, uh, it, uh, this particular passage um, with its, you know, and sort of the, the fruit of, of, of particularly the Orthodox Church, I have to say, thinking that through this kenosis, this emptying of God, um, uh, in Christ for the sake of the world has been um has really affected uh, all sorts of of um of other aspects of my of my worship life uh not the least of which the liturgically so i think you know going full circle um there's a beauty to the redemption of the created world that has been in some ways over the centuries um captured in some in particularly our uh, holy week liturgies that i think is um is in is in a way connected to this um, to this uh, canonic emptying of Jesus and his divinity for the sake of the redemption of his beloved creation. Speaking of Holy Week, we have the Palm Sunday story here as given to us in Luke, where after telling a parable to the crowd of Jericho, he goes ahead, going to Jerusalem, and he this interesting thing that when he comes to the place, the Mount of Olives, he sends the disciples to go get this cult that's never yeah. been ridden. And then, you know, of course, the, he rides it in, and we have this tradition, you know, the, from which we get this tradition, people are, you know, throwing palms down, and right. blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, and, uh, you, you know, you have this, uh, you know, as they're as they're, or actually we have them throwing their cloaks on the, on the road, but you know, uh, we have this Palm Sunday tradition where he enters kind of as the seeming conquering King into Jerusalem. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I've, I've again, thought a lot about this too. I mean, it's, it's the beauty of the lectionary cycle is yearly. You get to revisit these things, but I think that it's impossible. It, so I'm preaching this Sunday. So when I'm preaching this Sunday, I will invite people to open up sort of the week you know, and sort of enter into the to the drama, as it were, and uh, because everyone knows the end of the story, you know, everyone. I mean, the very, unless you are, which I hope there are people there who've never heard it before, and they'll hear it this Sunday. But you know, we the this does not end well for Jesus, you know, at least not not initially, and so this is there's a tragedy to this, um, to the pomp and circumstance that I think is is instructive, and I think it's instructive. I've been I've been contemplating this. Um, because I believe that this goes back to the way that we we are brought to 
the actual realization of who Jesus is, i.e. through the cross on our behalf. Because when we have pretensions for who He is and what He will then, by extension, do in our lives that are not connected to His emptying of Himself, even to death on a cross on our behalf, well, then we will ultimately be part of the crowd who, the same crowd, I mean, one imagines there's some of those people, if not the very least, um, you know, the the disciples who didn't stand up and and defend Him, um, who on Good Friday would be among those not yelling Hosanna, but crucify Him. And I think that... um, you know, I think that the this is part of the, as you talked about before, the the sort of the the growth pattern for the Christian life is that the the sort of baby, um, you know, Christian like in Napoleon Dynamite, you know, Jesus will give you all of your world, your heart's desires, you know, like if you vote for me, comes <laughs> a uh, remember with, uh, with the Holy Santos. Um, he uh, he initially is seen as this Hosanna, and you know he's going to 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 answer all of our prayers in in the way that we we genuinely believe he can. I mean, this is this is the double bond. Like he, we believe that he is God, and we then are frustrated, if not disappointed, in some ways. Hopefully, small, but probably you know at the very end when you say, "Could I live you know another twenty years?" Like large ways, and in the midst of that progression, we have come face to face with our fact that we did not, we would in fact have rejected him um, if we knew that this was what it was going to take. And yet, despite our rejection, he still came back to save. And I think that's the, that's the, the, the trajectory and the, the tragedy of, of, of this Palm Sunday reading. And I see that, you know, inc- not incidentally as the two thieves on the cross, I've been preaching, teaching about this recently, is that the thief, you know, the first thief on the cross who begins to mock Jesus, is mocking him out of Jesus's seeming powerlessness to actually save, you know? And so he gets increasingly angry and ultimately dis- uh, uh, contemptuous, not unlike many people who sort of have, quote-unquote, fallen away from the church in similar circumstances, you know? Like, I I, I was on the vestry my whole life, and then my wife died, or I, you know, I I was, uh, I went to seminary, I'm a minister, for God's sakes, and my, my child, you know, has left the faith, or whatever the case is, the point of suffering, as we've talked about, and the other thief, you know, St. Decimus, the good thief, you know, sees in some way, in particular his way, that the, the suffering of this world is, is we're, we're, no one has clean hands in this. You know, no one is, as Isaiah would say, that we are people of unclean lips among, among others with unclean lips. And yet, even in the midst of that, we see our redemption in Christ. And that becomes the church in, as Paul would say, this, this, the, from the word of the cross, you know, subcontrario, Luther would say, that the under the opposite of the thing. Like, we actually are these strange people who who don't glory in our suffering, but as you pointed out to Paul in Romans, Second uh, Corinthians, 15, 2 Corinthians 15, right? Um, that, uh, that we, 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 carry on because of the promise. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a certain sense, as he even says in other places, um, we, we, we fulfill, we, we, can, we, we complete the sufferings of Christ in our own bodies for the sake of the world. Like, we carry around our death so that his life will be seen in us. I mean, that's, that's, that's the gospel. <laughs> I mean, that's Easter morning. That's the resurrection from the dead. Yeah, and I think what's interesting, you know, I read this in one of Pope Benedict's Jesus of Nazareth vibes. He makes this point that I think is subtle but interesting that you there's a kind of that the crowd who is shouting Hosanna 
are people that know Jesus, right? And the, the man from Nazareth, which, you know, in Matthew's gospel, the people, like, there seems to be an, a lack of acquaintance with him in Jerusalem, right? So that Benedict says, you know, it's, it's interesting because there's a combination of rejection, one through fear of those who are disciples or, 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 or early, or, or they become hangers on and follows. Yes. And who turn away. And the others are indifferent. Like, we don't, you know, doesn't look like anything special to us, which is often these forms of, 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 uh, unbelief, right? It's either the church's yes. unbelief and shrinking back, or the world's indifferent, different form of unbelief and indifference. Mm, interesting, yes. And there's this interesting yeah. tradition, right, where we, the, where the Ash Wednesday ashes in, in the ancient traditions come from yes. the palms burned, the right? Palms so being burned, it reminds right. us of the value of our own religiosity, very <laughs> of, right. of how fickle it is, and how we need not yes. our, the faithfulness of, of 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 our religiosity, but the faith yes. of our religion's object. Amen. And I think, I mean, it's funny. It's exactly what that's exactly the point. Um, you know, of the of the liturgical season, obviously beginning Ash Wednesday and, and culminating Easter morning. But I had a person come to me once and say that they specifically skip this this service because they do not want to be part of the crowd, you know, when you have the dramatic reading who yells crucify him, because had they been there, they would not have said. <laughs> and I said the biggest I said, way well, to make sure you're, you're identified with I the said, crowd. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's what I said. And I said, well, you know, of course I didn't, it was one of these, you know, after the service in the, in the handshaking line, sort of com- quick conversation. So I didn't take uh, the, the time to correct them at the point, but I have since subsequently used the, the example as. And it's like what Jesus Jesus says, not a, not, not, as long as the gospel's preached, this story will be told. <laughs> as right, long as right. Palm Sunday is, is right. celebrated, this story will be told by that's J.D. Right. <laughs> precisely the point of Palm Sunday. And I think, you know, Scott, bringing that full circle, I mean, I think that the there's there's often an argument, um, uh, you know, Nietzsche made the argument uh, even about Christianity sort of, uh, sort of, sort of taking courage out of people, you know, it seemed to be this morose um, you know, he, he valued the Stoics, you know, in the, in the, the, the sort of, um, the classics because Christianity seemed to sort of wallow in his estimation, you know, in suffering and death and sadness and sickness and the cross and all these things. And I think that in certain traditions throughout history, that has been the case. But in general, I think that this is the point where we begin to see the, the actual miracle of the gospel taking shape and hold of people's hearts is that we become people who do not, sort of preach to ourselves about these platitudes, but we actually confess something that we genuinely have come to believe, that that in the midst of death, we are in life, you know, that the, although the outward fades away, we are being renewed inwardly day by day, you know, these all these things that Paul said with great conviction, we, by our lives and by our um, sort of walk in the world, can have this this paradoxical juxtaposition of our complicity in his death and yet our celebration of that very thing. And it's, you know, it's, it's, um, it's rightly, I mean, obviously to say it's rightly worshiped and glorified is, is one thing, but to, to be in awe of God and his saving work on the cross, um, particularly during this week where we take, we, we slow down everything, you know, we, we, we milk every single aspect of, of the story and every, Depending on what your tradition, but you you know pull out all of the bells and whistles because this is the the new sort of sort of gravity center of the Christian world, and it's um it's a beautiful and wonderful thing. Yeah, and, and, and I'm, I'm excited for it. And that is the ultimate sort of Palm Sunday is the ultimate. Sama used to set piccata, right? Sinners, right. sinner, sin, sin and saintliness. You know that that's it's all there together. 
Yeah. Amen, bud. Thanks, JD. Thanks so much for doing this and blessings Thanks, in your Scott. preaching. Absolutely, brother. Take care and a happy uh, Palm Sunday to you. And also with you. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe. Or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks again to JD for coming on the podcast, and thanks to you for listening. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.